said in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Do you think Jesus was literally saying, I am a loaf of bread? No. He says in John 15, I am the vine. Do we really think that he was saying he's a vine? No. So in those two instances, he was speaking symbolically. So take, eat my body. We believe this is symbolic as well. We believe it can't be the actual body of Jesus for a couple of reasons. Number one, it would go against the law. In Leviticus 17, you're not supposed to eat human flesh. You're not supposed to drink blood like that. So why would Jesus institute something that would go against his own teachings of the law in Leviticus 17? And number two, his body, his blood had not been given yet. So to say this is literally his body and blood at this point, he hasn't given his body and blood yet as a sacrifice. He's setting an institution for us to understand, to know the symbolism of it. So we feel that when we partake of the body and the blood, it's not literal, it's symbolic of that as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup. Now, what about the idea of the cup here? Verse 28, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for many for the remission of sins. This idea of new covenant. If you've been with us in our study in the book of Hebrews, you know that the word covenant is where we get the idea of testament. New Testament, Old Testament. Jesus is saying right here, guys, I'm changing it. I'm changing it. This Old Testament law and sacrificial system, no, we have a new covenant, a new testament that we're going to do from this point on. And it's based off of me and my death and resurrection. And I encourage you, if you want to study this out more, check out Hebrews 9 and 10. We've been doing that on Wednesday nights to really understand how Jesus says my death and sacrifice is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Basically, when you go study out Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, You really understand the purpose of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Jesus now fulfills that, and this is the new covenant, the New Testament. Once again, drink of it. Partake of it. Become one with that. Let it become one with you in that sense of koinonia, oneness through the Lord, through the Holy Spirit there of understanding what Jesus did. Do once again, do we believe that's the actual blood of Jesus? No. Same thing we said for the body. In Leviticus, that would be wrong according to Leviticus 17. So you see this all coming together now, how it represents Christ, the bread, the blood, the oneness that's supposed to come out of it, communion, the understanding of stopping and thinking about who he is and what this means and what this represents. And here's the neat part of it. Take a look at verse uh, 29. He says, I'm not going to do this again with you guys till we could do it together. See, Jesus set this up for us to have now. He ascends into heaven, and this is what we use now, communion, to remember him, to remember what his death and resurrection was like. This is the closest we get to the cross. And he says, I'm going to wait to do this now with you until I can do it with you in the kingdom. That's going to be quite the communion service, people, when you get to partake of this with Jesus himself. Now, the cup. The cup is kind of an interesting thing. Because if this was a Passover Seder meal like we believe, this cup represents a lot. If you could go with me to Exodus chapter 6, please. See, in a Passover Seder meal, if you've never been part of a Passover Seder meal, there's four cups that you take turns drinking from. Four cups. Exodus chapter 6, please. And it comes from this passage in Exodus chapter 6. Follow along with me when you get there. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, please. In Exodus 6, verse 6, it says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. 
then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now remember the basis of the Passover meal. A little quick rewind here to Exodus. It was the last plague that uh, God gave Moses to have the, Egypt, excuse me, have the Israelites freed from the Egyptians. And so what they would do is take the blood of a lamb they sacrificed, put it on their doorpost. And so therefore the Lord passed over and the Israelites were not judged as the Egyptians were. So this became an everlasting ordinance that the Lord wanted them to do, is this Passover Seder meal. And so those four cups come from this passage right here. See, the first cup in a Passover meal is called sanctification. It comes from the phrase, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Sanctification is a fancy word that means to be set apart. God says, I have set you apart from the Egyptians. The next cup is called the cup of blessing. I will free you from being slaves to them. You are blessed. You are set free. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. God has redeemed us. Redeem just means to pay the ransom for. You are a slave to sin. Jesus came and set you free. He paid the price to set you free, and the price was his blood. And the fourth cup is acceptance. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. God accepts us. Now, most people believe that the cup that Jesus is drinking from at this time would be the third cup, the cup of redemption. Because this is what he's talking about. We are going to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is going to set us free from our sin. Through his blood, he paid the penalty. For it, he can take care of that. So now with this understanding of the bread and the unleavened bread, and we have the understanding of the cups, and we see the body and the blood, what that means and represents, and what the word Eucharist means and communion means, we understand this. But now we need to put this into practice and see what this really means for us. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 11, please? 1 Corinthians 11. Now I'm just going to kind of explain to you what we do out here when it comes to communion and why we do what we do. And then show you the scriptural reference here as we're going through this to hopefully have you understand. We've already told you what the word communion means. We told you what the word Eucharist means there, etc. Now, we're going to do communion here corporately as a body. Now, I want to also encourage you to have time of communion personally and privately. There's no reason why you and the Lord cannot have communion together. And I encourage you to do that. It is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Wonderful blessing. And before you think, I'm not a pastor, I'm not ordained, you don't need to do any of that. The only thing you need to do is this. Have a piece of bread, have a cup, and have some grape juice. That's all you got to do. Put a little bit in the cup, and then you can sit, and you can go right to 1 Corinthians 11 here, read verses 23 through 26 like we're going to do, and you can partake of communion with you and the Lord. You can have that oneness right there. I also encourage you to have a time of communion with you and your family. What a blessing that is. That's something Dawn and I have done with the boys. We sit around the kitchen table and we've had communion before. It's a wonderful blessing. The idea of oneness. Oneness with the Lord in communion, but also oneness with others. Listen, I'm just going to throw this out there. Husbands, wives, if the oneness is not there, maybe it's time for you to stop and take communion together with you and the Lord. Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you feel the house does not have that spiritual focus, maybe it's time for you to get your kids together and say, let's do communion together. There's a oneness that comes out of this, the focusing on Christ, who is the one, but there's also a oneness of us in fellowship together as we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection and what it means and represents. So I encourage you to do it corporately here as a body of Christ. I encourage you to do it individually, and I also encourage you to do it in a setting with other people. There's been times before where Rich and I have been called to nursing homes, etc., and we've done communion with them. It's a wonderful blessing here of just one or two people. What it is is that oneness. So I just want to encourage you with that right there. Now, 
A couple of things you're going to see what we do out here at church is this. We do not have a communion schedule. We don't. I know some churches that will do the communion the first Sunday of the month. Some will do it the last Sunday of the month. That, that, that's fine. The way we've always done communion out here is when we feel that it fits into the message as the Lord leads, that's when we are going to do it. I know one church that does communion every single morning. And that if you're on your way to work, you can swing by and partake of communion. The Bible makes it clear you do this in remembrance of him. So as I'm preparing the message and as the Lord leads, I, hey, communion works in well. So I'll try to contact the worship team and Bob Christie and say, hey, what's plan on doing communion here tomorrow? Just that idea of the oneness. Now, we don't have church membership out here. So if you showed up here today, you're more than welcome to partake of communion with us. Now, one of the things that we'll do, though, before we partake of communion is we're going to make it very clear who Jesus Christ is. We're going to make it very clear what his death and resurrection means. Because to partake of communion is to fully understand what his death did for you. How this bread, this cracker represents the body and how this cup represents the blood. What does that mean for you personally? And so therefore we will explain what that means so then you can say, I want this. I want that relationship with him as well. And so that will be explained. Now, you see a couple other things going on with communion. Back in Matthew 26, as they were done with communion, they sang a hymn. We believe that praise and worship has a part in it. That's why as we're passing out the elements of communion here, they'll be up here doing some songs. And I tell you, the words are just beautiful. As you're holding that in your hand, waiting for us to partake of that together, it's a time for you to stop and really listen and really think about those words and keep your mind focused on Christ. Because the purpose of communion is not to be focused on you. It's to be focused on Him. And what does worship do? Worship makes us stop thinking about us. And think about him. That's the purpose of worship. That's why in the New Testament it talks about bringing the sacrifice of praise. It's a time of praise that you're sacrificing what? Your precious time of thinking about you. (laughs) We are very prideful, selfish people. Everything goes through us. I have a pastor friend that uses this phrase all the time. The biggest problem facing the church today is ingrown eyeballs. The only thing we see is us. Communion is a time for us to sit, wait, and say, Lord, I just want to remember what you did on the cross. I just want to stop and focus on that. I want to praise you for that. I want to give thanks for that. Because that's what you're doing is giving thanks. See, take a look at verse 24, 1 Corinthians 11. And when he had given thanks, wow, Lord, I'm going to stop my day. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to quit worrying about my health problems, my job problems, my financial problems, my relationship problems. And I'm going to stop and just give you thanks for what you did for me at the cross. And the way I'm going to remember it is the symbolic act of the blood and the body. And it's going to be about you. And I'm going to worship you as I do this. I'm going to focus on you and give you thanks. Now, usually at this time, there's someone who thinks I have nothing to give thanks about. I run into this every now and then. And I always have to stop and remind them, you have many things to be thankful for. And usually I hear something of, you don't know my life. You don't know my health issues. You don't know my relationship issues. You don't know my financial issues. You don't know how bad my life is. And I stop and I tell them, listen, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, yes, then you have thankful for salvation. that's, That's your foundation right there. You always have one thing to be thankful for, that you were just saved out of hell through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what you're thanking him for. So listen, if it's hard for you to find good things to be thankful for, then just stop and thank him for salvation, because that's the point of this anyway, is to focus on the blood and the body of who Jesus is. That is why we're here to do, is to be 
thankful. Thankful. Now let's talk about the elements. The broken bread. Now we'll use crackers. Because the idea of the unleavened bread kind of from the Passover. I've done communion out here before as a church where maybe we've met in a small group. And we've actually had a loaf of bread that we will pass around and everybody will tear a chunk off of that. Now, that loaf of bread will have leaven in it. It doesn't match up to the unleavened bread that we're talking about. But it's a beautiful picture of the brokenness of Christ. Of what he went through on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Now, when it comes to the cup, we do not use wine. We use juice. We use juice for a couple different reasons. Uh, number one, some of you may have struggled with alcohol in the past. So we don't need to put that in front of you in any way whatsoever. We can use juice and it works out just fine. Plus, you need to understand, too, the concept of New Testament wine. New Testament wine was four parts water, one part wine. So it was a very diluted watered down. The juice represents the symbolic nature of Jesus' blood just fine. Now, this is the interesting thing about communion. As you're getting ready to partake of it, you're doing two things at once. You're looking back and looking forward at the exact same time. Take a look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You do two things at the same time. I proclaim your death, Lord. I look back. I give you thanks for salvation. I give you thanks for what you're doing. And I just praise you for your death, your resurrection, your blood, your sacrifice for my sins. It's all about you. And I'm going to worship you and think of you. And I want oneness with you, Lord, at this time. But at the same time, I look forward. I get to do this with you in eternity, Lord. I get to do this and I proclaim your death till you come. You are returning, Jesus. And I have the expectation of eternity with you. It's a wonderful blessing of doing something in the past and in the future while being in the present. That's the beautiful thing about communion. It takes you to the foot of the cross to understand what Jesus did. But at the same time, it takes you to eternity to realize this isn't my home. This is what I get to look forward to. So as you're partaking of communion, and all of a sudden these thoughts come into your mind of being thankful for this, the pain I'm feeling right now, the physical problems I'm having, the spiritual problems, the emotional problems, this one I'm supposed to be thankful of, Take those thoughts captive in the name of Jesus and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to the future right now. I'm going to think about heaven. I'm going to think about eternity. And I'm going to think about what it's going to be like to have communion with Christ in heaven. What a beautiful picture that is of looking back and looking forward at the exact same time. That's the joy of communion. Of looking back, looking forward, the oneness with the body of Christ, the oneness with Jesus, giving thanks, focusing on his death and resurrection. And it really resets you, resets you on where you're supposed to be spiritually. Let me just repeat this point. If you came in here this morning and you're not where you want to be spiritually, I mean, you know there's a whole other level of where you want to go. Obviously, partake of communion with us this morning. Can I encourage you to make this a part of your personal time with the Lord on a regular basis? It will bless you. Maybe you are not where you want to be with your family. Offer it to them. They may not show up. You may say, 7 o'clock at the kitchen table, we're going to have communion. And it's you and the Lord. By golly, do it. Maybe if your wife or husband's willing to do it with you, do that. It's the oneness. It's the resetting. It's the restarting of we're going to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on Jesus Christ. Please don't overcomplicate this. I just encourage you to go right to 1 Corinthians 11. I encourage you just to have out the pieces of bread or the cracker. I encourage you to have a couple little cups. 
put a little bit of juice in it, and you just come to this and you read verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. There's a great passage in Corinthians that talks about the simplicity of Jesus. Let's not overcomplicate this. Lord, I'm thankful for what you did on the cross for me. I want to remember it. I'm going to partake of communion right now with me. Family, we're excited. We're in a spiritual spot where it's just, Lord, we feel like you're moving. We just want to give you thanks, Lord, for who you are. We're going to partake of communion right now. See, back in the Old Testament, if you go out and study the sacrifices in Leviticus, there were certain sacrifices that if you were just feeling blessed by the Lord, I'm having a good day, I'm just going to all go offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Free will. No one's making me do this. I don't have to. I'm just going to go do it because, Lord, I just, I love you. Communion. You're just feeling really blessed. Oh, Lord, I just love you. I, I love being in your word. I love praying. I just love what you're doing. And, and I feel like there's more. Hey, stop. Partake of communion as a family, individual. You will definitely be blessed. Now, there's another side to communion, though, because look at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's some powerful verses right there. We feel that it's important before you partake of communion to have a time of what is called self-examination. And that's where you get from there that idea of let a man examine himself in verse 28. In the original Greek, that means test to see if it's genuine. That before we partake of communion, we'll give an offer to salvation, anybody who wants it. But we're also going to give an offer to you guys to privately go to the Lord one-on-one and have a time of confession. We'll read the passage from Psalm 139 where it says, Search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any anxiety in me, any iniquity in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. We'll probably talk about the passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13. Where he says, test yourselves. See if your faith is genuine. It's a time for you to stop and say, Lord, am I where I'm supposed to be spiritually? Is there something that I'm struggling with? Is there a sin that's keeping me from having koinia, oneness with you? And then you can confess that. You can examine yourself and have that time of self-examination. Because you do not want to partake of this communion in an unworthy manner. Because that's what it's talking about there in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. That's kind of scary. Well, what does it mean? Let's talk about what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean that you sit here and say, I'm, I'm a sinner, I can't partake of communion. Of course you're a sinner. That's the reason we have communion. Because Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm just, I'm so far off. I want to be made right with the Lord, but I I can't. Do you realize God has never taught, get cleaned up first, then come to him? He wants you to come to him dirty. So if you're struggling with sin, this is your time of self-examination. This is your time of confession. So what's it mean to partake of it in an unworthy manner? This is where you have to understand the context. If you have more time today, I encourage you to go back and read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because what was happening was this. Back in the early church, they were having their communion following a meal. I'm not making a joke about this, but do you realize how often throughout the Gospels, Jesus is always eating. He is always eating. I love that. 
So he is constantly eating. And back during the New Testament times, if you ate with somebody, it showed a oneness with them. So therefore, when Christ ate with these tax collectors, with these prostitutes, that's why the religious leaders were so aghast, because you were showing oneness with them. That's why communion means oneness, koinia. When we partake of communion, there's a oneness. But what was happening in the early church is they would get together and have what they would call their agape feasts or love feasts. And they would have this big dinner that would end with communion because that's kind of what Jesus did. They had the Passover Seder meal that ended with communion. Well, people were coming to these meals and, and different things were happening. One, people were getting drunk at the meals. And then they were partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. There was people that were coming and gorging themselves on food. And then by the time communion came around, it's like, oh yeah, this is what we do. Unworthy manner. There were people that came to the meals hungry. And they were fighting to whoever who got to eat first. Have you ever seen a potluck out here at church? The way people run back? It's like the spirit came on them just like Elijah. And they're just going to run, right? They were treating it in an unworthy manner. And Paul says, you guys got to stop. Well, obviously, you don't have to worry about drunkenness here. You don't have to worry about gorging ourselves on food. And in the 20 years I've been out here, not one of you has ever run up the table to go first. I've seen that. What's it mean for us then to be in an unworthy manner? Well, let me ask you this. For some of you that have been walking with the Lord for years, maybe decades, has communion come just common to you? This is just what we do? Boy, never let Jesus become normal to you. Never let Jesus become common to you. Because when you allow what Jesus did on the cross just to become common, that's a scary thing. We've been in the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights, and one of the passages is in Hebrews warns us to not let your walk with Christ become common. Because it's not common. This is an amazing thing we get to do. This is something where Jesus, in the last hours of his life, said, Hey, church, I want you to do this on a regular basis to remember me. I want you to have a time of worship and give thanks for what I did on the cross for you. I want you to have a time of self-examination to get right spiritually. I want you to quit thinking about yourselves and think about me. Don't let this become common to you. Don't let this become normal to you. Realize this is a wonderful time for you to stop and reset yourself spiritually. Saying, Lord, I'm going to get my focus back to where it needs to be. Because I don't want to do this in an unworthy manner. Because it's not about me, it's about you. And I'm going to give thanks, I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to focus on you as we do this. That's the purpose of communion. So do this with us corporately today. But I also encourage you, maybe individually, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your family, maybe with a group of guys. You know, when we did the small group studies over the last couple of years, I know the one small group study I was leading up, we stopped and did communion just as a small group. It's a wonderful time just to stop, refresh, relook, and say, Jesus, I want the focus to be on you and all that we say and do. Now, parents, one other aspect of communion, we bring in the older classrooms. We leave it up to you to make sure that your child knows and understands what communion is. So as the kids come in, then you can make that decision to say that they understand this. Because we think it's important for the kids to come in and sit with mom and dad and have that family oneness as they do it. It's a beautiful picture. And what a greater, is there anything better than the idea of a family coming together and saying, we're going to celebrate Christ together. That's the goal, is to give him the glory. So, who's ever getting the kids in the back, if they want to go grab the kids, um, we're going to go ahead and get started here with communion then. So if you would do this with me, please. We think it is important to have that time 
of self-examination. 